Hi everyone, my name is Navridi. And I'm Eric. And welcome to our podcast, Above and Below, where we interview changemakers and industry experts to help us explore how we're shaping our culture and how it's shaping us. So today, the theme of our episode is the power of community. Uh, you know, today in 2019, we have both physical and digital communities. Um, our community may be in our city, uh, across state lines, maybe international. Um, the idea of community has evolved and expanded beyond just like your immediate physical radius. So yeah, today we're going to talk about community as it relates to the workplace and how we can use community to better ourselves and help others. So mm-hmm. yeah, Navridi, what what has your experience been with communities, whether mm-hmm. it's physical or digital? Well, I feel like community has become this, or it's rather, it's it's gone beyond just this, you know, what is that word? <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag community. Hashtag community. It's gone beyond, you know, just being a buzzword. And I think, and I've seen that a lot of companies are incorporating the idea of community as a valuable and desirable aspect to, you know, either join their company. um, And, you know, community has also become this more valuable term than, you know, just like networking. It's really more about connecting with people in a meaningful way and also with the expectation of, you know, you participating in it in a valuable way. So I'm really curious to speak to our guest today and see, you know, how uh, community and the idea of it has changed over the years and why it's beneficial and how it's affecting how we're working in the f- uh, right now and also in the future. So we're talking about community today. So let's welcome our guest today, Erin Halper. She is the founder and CEO of The Upside. Welcome, Erin. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming in. So Erin, could you tell us uh, what is The Upside? How would you describe The Upside? The Upside is an ecosystem that supports the success of women who are pursuing independent consultancies or boutique agencies. And then we connect them to like-minded companies that are looking for high-level, flexible, scalable talent. So what led you to create The Upside? Well, I consulted for um, about seven years before starting The Upside. I was a marketing consultant in the um, alternative investment space. And I had a lot of success with that. I had my two children during that time. I had all the flexibility in the world. I got paid really well. It really was sort of this holy grail of mom jobs without being a mom job type <laughs> type job without being something that was um, what's considered kind of lower level. It really was very high level, very strategic. It was the perfect fit, the perfect situation. And I realized other women just did not have that. And it came very easily to me. So I thought, well, let me help other women pursue independent consultancies like I did and have that flexibility. Women who were really good in their careers, but made it maybe just needed some help understanding how to launch on your own as an independent consultant. And originally the company, it started as a talent agency. So we were making a percentage of every deal and I was helping women 
transition out of corporate into consulting. I was getting all their clients, negotiating all the contracts, everything. You know, when you think of like a movie agent in Hollywood, everything that person does, all the consultant had to do was show up to work. Um, that ended up turning into a full-time contract negotiation job, which is not the world that I wanted to be in. Um, eventually, I transitioned it into a membership community where people could pay a small monthly fee and join. It, they were all vetted into the community. It was all curated people to make sure it was the right fit, the right caliber of person. And then we connect them to clients through the community. So you mentioned uh, a lot about how the upside engages and gathers women, and you're helping women a lot. So I just want to take a step back here, and could you tell us, um, you know, what patterns did you notice uh, as you were starting the upside, or maybe even before, um, regarding you know the changing role of women in the workplace and in the economy? Well, the biggest thing I noticed, and it infuriated me, which is how many businesses are born, um, was that women were leaving the workforce not because they wanted to be full-time mommies, which is what everyone wants to think they're doing. It's because they've been forced out, because they have no flexibility, or they're not paid enough to even make it worth their while. We have, in this country, we don't have subsidized childcare in any way, shape, or form. So people are paying between two, three, sometimes even $4,000 a month in childcare, depending on what you have, from a daycare all the way to a one-on-one -on -one nanny, and quite frankly, you have to be making a certain amount of money to even break even, you know, to break even, because that's after-tax money that you're using to pay for those things. Then, so, so there's no subsidized childcare. So the women who are making less than $100,000 a year are saying, this doesn't even make sense. I'm, I'm walking home with, you know, $65,000 a year, and out of that $65,000, I'm paying $50,000 or $40,000 in childcare, and it just doesn't make sense. And I'm killing myself in the meantime doing it. So the biggest issue I see in the workplace right now for women is that nobody, it's not so much a women thing, it's a parent thing is what I see, is that parents, mostly moms, are just not accommodated with any kind of flexibility um, or, or equal opportunities or childcare. And it just makes it really, really difficult to work full time as a mom. But then, okay, you know, I've gone to school, I've gotten my MBA, or I've been working for 12 years. I don't want to give that up. You know, I don't want to, why should I have to give that up just because there's these two choices, working full-time or not working at all? I don't want that. There has to be a middle. So we've created that middle. So what are you seeing now with women? Are they, are you helping them now stay in the workforce or they're or taking time off and you're helping them re-enter the workforce? What is that looking like? What's the breakdown of your community? A couple of things. So there's, I'd say, twofold. The first is helping women who are ready to take that leap. They're, they're, they're done. They're ready to, to leave corporate, but they still want to work and they want to consult. They want their own flexible, independent consultancy or a small agency. So we have coaching and tools, and we help them transition out and transition into consulting. Um, some of the women have taken, taken time off, but the women who have taken significant time off also had significant careers. So one woman we worked for, for example, took maybe five or six years off, but she had a 15-year career with McKinsey, Harvard MBA, Dartmouth undergrad. I mean, she's, I mean, this is someone who could easily get back in. 
Um, the other type of person we work with are people who are already consulting and they want to you know, level up their game. They want to um, make more money, get better clients. They, the, the problem is in that world, there's no best practices. There's no standards for pricing or contracts or, or even client acquisition. There are no standards. It's sort of this wild west um, industry. So we set those standards. I know the entire market because I'm talking to clients all the time. I know what people charge. I know why people don't close clients. I know why they do close clients. So we set those standards and we help women understand how to price their services, how to get better clients, more clients, and, and all the strategies that go around that go along with having a successful independent flexible consultancy that you can then scale if you want into something else. So are you seeing certain industries that this works better for? You're in the financial industry. So or are you would you say you're in the financial industry or in no. or you're in marketing for financial? How would you so what are you saying? What are you saying that's working for? So we work with all industries and all functions. I would say what it it I'd say there's some consultant paths that are harder than others. One would be law, for example. So if you want to go out on your own as a lawyer, you know, you are now responsible for getting all of your clients, which is a little bit more difficult because who is hiring an independent lawyer versus a law firm? You're talk about building trust. So so how are you convincing someone that you know, that you're the right fit versus a law firm? Do you see what I mean? It's a little bit harder, but it's not impossible. People do it all the time. The easiest are things that, um, the easiest are paths where there's a comparable agency. So when you're, so for example, PR, digital marketing, I could go out and hire an agency to do those functions for me or a consultant. And oftentimes companies will pit them against each other to see who has the better deal or who can convince them to hire. A lot of consultants are up against an, a small mm, it's agency. very competitive. Very competitive, because, but agencies have a ton of overhead. And, very, and this is not to knock agencies, because many are great, but most of the time when you hire an agency and the person who comes to your office convinces you that you know, we're the best agency, that person is not working on your project. You're, agencies make mo- make money by paying out people the lowest possible they can and charging the most they can. That's how they make money. So they're going to give your project to the lowest person they possibly can, maybe a 26, 27-year-old, which may be fine for you. But if you really want the big guns, you really want a senior person working on your project, you have to hire a consultant. You will, no matter what they say, you're not going to get that from an agency. Mm-hmm. Those high-level people are bringing in business, and they're just overseeing work. They're not doing the work. Whereas a consultant who has 15 years' experience in digital marketing or in PR or any sort of creative field, they're doing that work themselves, and that's the big difference. Gotcha. So going back to the upside and just wanted to touch a little bit more on its beginnings. How did you get, let's say, your first few clients or first few people that you wanted to collaborate with? 
Well, luckily, I'd been working in um, private equity, real estate private equity, hedge funds for, I don't know, how old was I? I guess almost 15 years when I started The Upside. So I had a huge network of people. Um, I had a pretty good reputation, I guess, in the industry. And I was able to pick up the phone and call a lot of ex-colleagues who were now at other companies, um, former bosses, um, former you know colleagues who started new businesses. And it really... Honestly, it was really just a networking mm-hmm. game and just calling and asking and meeting with people and, and talking about the business and the industry. And what issues were they coming to you with? Most of them had small projects that would pop up here and there that they their internal staff just could not do. And they just didn't know who was going to do them. And I said, well, you know, let's start there and we'll bring in some people. We'll bring in an expert who can help you just patch up your existing staff and kind of come in as you need. And she can be sort of your outsourced director of marketing for the small things you need in mm-hmm. that department. Um, one company was a headcount of about 40 and they had no HR person. Okay, well, well, <laughs> we need those. <laughs> at, yeah, well, at some point you need an HR person. Is it a full-time job with a staff of 40? Probably not, to be honest. If you're really good at your job, no, that's not a full-time job. Full-time job. So they chose to have a consultant who was on contract for 20 hours a week. So they were able to get a senior level person at 20 hours a week. At what point in your journey of building the upside did you realize that hey, you know, I'd like this to become a community. Because, oh, I'll tell you. Yeah, tell us. <laughs> I know the exact moment it happened. It was the end of last summer. Um, it was the end of last summer, and I will not name names, but I had been negotiating a contract for probably two months with a company. And they yesed me, yesed me, yesed me for two months, and they, oh, we love, 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 and you know, I set them up with the right person, and we are down to negotiating the contract, and then all of a sudden I didn't hear from them, which is always a, not always, it is usually a bad sign. And I was already getting pretty frustrated with how long it was taking, and finally um, my contact said, oh, you know, we decided to go with an agency for this one. And I... I literally, I think I like flipped up my table and, and like coffee went everywhere and I think I might have stomped all over my office. Um, that was infuriating to me. And it wasn't the only time something like that had happened. Otherwise, that would be very strange that one thing would make me that upset. But I said, you know what, I'm just going to take two weeks and I'm going to just not work for two weeks. I'm going to think about things. I'm go- I, I know this is a business People email me all the time, thank you so much for starting this business. Thank you for helping me out. I said, I know that this is a business, but the business model does not work for me at all. This does not work. And I sat on it for a couple weeks, and the bright idea really came about because I had to figure out a way how to prevent all the money flowing through the upside. So all the money was coming in from the client to the upside, and then we were paying out the consultants. What that did was it categorize us as a staffing agency. And I kept saying, no, 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 we're not a staffing agency. And big CPG companies, um, you know, like Pfizer, they were saying, you are a staffing agency and we need you to sign this MSA in order to work with us. 
and the MSA basically signed away my children's life. So I said, I can't sign this. This is unsignable. I can't sign this. It says if the consultant trips and falls in your office, I'm responsible for it. I, these people are independent contractors. I can't be responsible. And they go, well, the money's flowing through you, and they're, you're paying them, so you're responsible. Mm-hmm. So I said, well... Don't want to do that anymore either. So, yeah. so I really I reworked the model so that the money doesn't flow mm-hmm. through me. Everyone pays a much lower fee, but I'm also doing less work per deal. Mm-hmm. So now that you change your business model, what is the new business model, and what what is how does the community benefit from that? Okay, so now everybody pays a small monthly fee. It's actually quarterly um, because we know that you can't get anything out of a 30 day membership. We've learned that um, the hard way. So. It's a quarterly membership, but it's a small monthly fee. Um, Today, it's $38 a month paid quarterly. It'll go up every year, but for now, that's what the rate is. And everybody, first of all, one thing that makes us different is that we connect members to each other. We facilitate those connections. And I think that that is extremely significant. I'm a member of other communities also. I'm a member of entrepreneur communities. Um, Some do a great job at that. Some don't do any of that. And I find that the facilitated connections are one of the most valuable tools an entrepreneur or a consultant or even a corporate executive can have because no one has time to look through a database and start connecting with people. I mean, I don't have time to do that. But if somebody in the upside posts a question or says, oh, I'm meeting with um, Google next week, does anyone have any tips? I know who's also worked at Google or who's pitched Google or who has something to do with Google and I'm going to tag them. Those people are going to get pinged and they're going to reply to that member or say, let's set up a call, let's set up a coffee. Um, The other thing is everybody is curated for their helpfulness. So if I get any indication that you're not participating or if I'm tagging you and you're not chiming in, you're going to be out in a few months. That It just doesn't work that way. Also, everybody has an ongoing offer, sometimes two offers. So I always say it's sort of like the chain letters when we were kids, or at least when I was a kid, where you would, you would you know, send out six but receive like 100 in return. I don't know if you're familiar with chain letters. You're looking at me very confused. You're like, what's that? I only I know, know emails. <laughs> well, back in the old days, we like used to write notes? letters. No, we used to like write letters. Like chain emails. Stop. No, we used to write letters. <laughs> and there was this whole, it was like a pyramid thing where like you would send out six and then those six people had to send six back to you. It was like this whole pyramid thing. You end up getting like a hundred letters in the mail, which back in the old uh-huh. days, that was really fun to get a handwritten letter. Yeah. I know it's hard because you don't know how to write now, but. No, no. My aunt still sends me that. Okay. Yeah. She's like, yes, you your know, old lady aunt. Yeah. She's, okay. not, she's yeah. not old. No, she's like my she, age. <laughs> no, you're not. The closest thing I can think of was getting the Valentine's Day things in school. Yeah. Uh, but, it's like send it to 10 people and you'll get good luck. It's totally different totally because different. you're still writing. <laughs> you're, it's at, you're writing the same amount that you receive. Anyway, right. so forget that analogy. That doesn't work. But <laughs> the point is, is you put out maybe one or two offers and you're getting 100 in return. So the offers are things like contracts. You know, people share their contracts. People share their pitch decks. People share, people do office hours for other consultants. Anything that would help another consultant. Mm. One woman is um, really high up in fashion and and she's been a buyer, and she said, you know, if anyone has clients and you, you need access to a buyer or you need access to someone in high level in fashion, I'll share my contacts with mm-hmm. you. 
you can't find that in other communities. Like, you know, we set that up very specifically so that everyone is there to help and everyone knows that they're there to give. We also do coaching. We do, we do monthly calls that have a topic that's relevant to consulting. Everything is all about solopreneurship, boutique agencies, consulting, B2B, getting clients, generating income, having flexible life. Mm. So I'm a bit more curious about your community and also the values that drive it. So I saw that you know on your website, and we've spoken about this before. Um, you know, you have your core values, and you know the website is a very mission-driven community. So I'm curious to know, just you know, how did you come up with these values, or you know, how were they built over time? Um, you know, is this an important factor in helping determine how people stay engaged in your community and who you like to have join it, et cetera? It definitely has something to do with who who I want to join. Um, I I always advise potential members to read about our core values because you'll know immediately if you're a fit. Mm-hmm. Because if you resonate with what that says, then you're it, it will click immediately. If you're questioning any of that, it's probably just not the right fit yeah. for you. I say the biggest core value is quality over quantity. This is not a volume game. We're not trying to get corporate sponsors and big numbers. This is a quality game. This is a long-term game. This is not something, this is not the type of business that was set up for big numbers, a ton of thousands of members. That's not what this is. And this is, I mean, for example, our next membership round, because it's quarterly, we do cut off applications at at some point. We're, We're capping it at 25. Only 25 members can come in this quarter because I know that it will implode otherwise. There'll be way too much activity right up front and people will be overwhelmed by the amount of requests or introductions or asks. So, you know, we cap it at 25. 25 is nothing. I mean, business, everybody wants big numbers. People ask me, how many members do you have? Not a lot. <laughs> it's not a lot because, I, because the whole point is it's not thousands of members, it's gonna be hundreds of members. Mm -hmm. Because that's the only way people can benefit. If it's too many people, it doesn't work. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm in a lot of communities with high volumes and the quality just degrades. It degrades. Or rather the quality of the interactions you know, goes down and it becomes a little superficial. Mm -hmm. It does, or it becomes um, another value is our our members, nobody can sell or promote anything to each other. So I'm a member of many, many groups and all and I don't mind it, but all the time people are promoting their own work, their own business. Um, yeah, I, I could give you examples, but I don't want to, you know, rain on anybody's parade. But the point is, is you're not allowed to sell anything to, to other members or try to push your services on other mm-hmm. members. And that is something that members have said they value so much mm-hmm. because it means a lot to them because we are all members of other communities where people do that. And it's an, it's a little bit frustrating. Yeah, I just want to expand on that a little bit more. So as you've seen your community grow, but also, you know, you mentioned you're a part of other communities that have also grown over over time. You know, how do you feel or have you seen, you know, relationships, interactions, um, you know, and just the quality of engagement change between people? In my own community or in other people's communities? 
both. Just like, you know, what are some patterns you've noticed? Some patterns I've noticed is that when a community model is really, when there's a sponsorship model, when, when people are getting paid sponsors, I find that the quality goes down, the quality of engagement and what we get out of the membership. I personally feel like if I'm paying a monthly membership fee, that I shouldn't have to be advertised to. Um, you know, I also think that the actual platform, so we all need technology on some level to be able to interact. How do, we, how do our members interact? Some people use a Slack group. Some, some companies use Facebook. Some companies use Google. There's no great platform. Some have come up with their own platforms, their own technology. Well, that's great too, except for now I'm required to, now I have to log into something separate that I'm not usually in and that I'm only using for your community. I probably won't use that so much. I've, I'm also in a community like mm-hmm. that and I literally never go on it because mm-hmm. it's requiring me to open a separate app that I then have to be proactive yeah. about. Platform fatigue. Platform fatigue. So, <laughs> you know, LinkedIn is not really, for, they're a little behind. They're not set up yet for this. They will be, I'm sure, but right now it's not really great for community. So what does that leave us with? You know, just a few options. And, and I have noticed that there is no perfect solution for that. So as people, as their communities scale, those platforms can sometimes be very faulty for what they are trying to achieve. Um, but that's gonna be changing too, because now all those platforms are growing and noticing the community aspect. I'd like to know your top three or just you know top aspects of what do you think makes a really good digital community? 100% the facilitations by the people who run it. So I've been part of communities where the people who run it are either not super involved, not super responsive. Um, And I've been involved in communities where the communities are very successful, very large. And when I send out an email to someone with a question, they get back to me within an hour. Like someone has gotten back to me. So I think that communication Mm -hmm. is one of the most important things about community. I also think niche and curation is really important. I think some communities try to be too many, too broad, too many things to too many people, and quite honestly, that's where I see it the break, see it breaking down. I don't need to be in a community with a real estate agent, for example. That person has zero to do with my. There's just nothing in common whatsoever for me, um, or someone selling like in a multi-level marketing product, or somebody. It's just I prefer to be in communities where. The, it's curated for a very specific type of person. I think you're going to start seeing that more and more because people are going to want more intimate communities because they're realizing that the big communities, it is very hard to engage. The other thing is, I think paid for communities are very different than free communities. So some people say, oh, I get everything I need out of you know this community that's 20,000 people and it's free. Like, great, I am glad that works for you. But personally, if I'm a six-figure consultant and I have a question about a client, I don't want to ask someone and get an, I don't want to ask and get an answer from a $25 an hour person, you know, or $10 an hour per, per I mean, That's what you're going to get. You get that, should I trust that person's advice? I don't, personally, I don't think so. I want to ask other women who are making six figures, not 
somebody that's kind of struggling. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big difference too. I, I think yeah. when people are willing to invest in the community and they're willing to pay for it, you're going to get a different type of person. I think that's a really important point, the quality of advice. As I was building startups, I feel like I was getting advice from everyone and no one like self-filtered like that they should know like, or like, you know, they just assume that they know the answer to everything. And it's like, well, no, I, sh- I started to create a hierarchy over time of who I would listen to. It's like, if it's not relevant, like, or, if, you know, I was building a hardware company I'm not, and I was listening to people who were building software companies, very different thing. Um, so that's, I like those three points. So as you've been building out this community, I'm curious how your perspective is starting to change with the role of consultants in the workplace. Uh, we've been talking about the future of work on this podcast, and I'm wondering how you're seeing companies uh, shift around taking in more consultants, because consultants kind of have created a I would say not the best reputation over time because they've kind of seemed maybe aloof from the core of the business. I'm curious how you're impacting the new consultant of 2019 and beyond into the workplace and and how companies are responding to maybe people in your community. I think that for, so for, even though we get requests from very big companies, I would say that our core would be companies, and it's all about headcount. It's not about revenue. It's companies between you know five and a hundred employees. You know that's the real core because our consultants work really well to provide a service that they don't have in house. So I think a lot of times consultants fail, as you were sort of mentioning, or aloof or not connected to the to the company because they're not brought in for the right reasons. It's not always the consultant's problem. A lot of times it's the client's problem. There's not the community, you know, there's no communication. Um, they didn't really need the person probably in the first place. They maybe thought they did. Then they're like, what do I do with this person? The con- consultants work best for companies that do not have that internal function already. So if you have a big marketing team and you're hiring a marketing consultant to come in, mm, usually those situations are a little tougher to, to win. If you're a software company with 12 people and you don't have a marketing person and you want to hire a consultant, that's a big win because that person is going to take your company to the next level without having to have that head count. And I do think that the arrangement of how you work with the consultant will make or break the relationship. There, there are so many different variables that go into making it successful. And that's why we're not an automated platform. That is why I talk to every single client before I connect them to consultants, because I want to make sure that they're hiring consultants for the right reason and that they're set up for success. Every platform is automated. I've never seen a platform not automated except for mine. It's, it's, it's really shocking to me. And I think that's another differentiator is you have to talk to the client, understand their needs, understand their budget, understand exactly what it is they're really trying to accomplish so that we can set up that consultant for success. So, okay, so we've talked a lot about, you know, these digital communities and how they've really become very valuable for 
you know, people who are freelancing, people who are consultants, perhaps people who are even searching for new opportunities that may be full time. Uh, you know, I want to flip the coin a little bit and ask you, you know, if we are moving in a direction where you know, communities like this are very desirable to be, to be a part of, um, and they're of course very highly curated, um, do you think this is going to become a barrier of entry for future generations to just participate in the workplace? Meaning like you have to be a member of a community to participate right. in the workplace? Or to, yeah, that, or sort to of even like a, just have a good job. <laughs> Um, I think it's not a barrier to entry or it never will be. I think it's like like any networking circle or any privilege. I think that the more people you have um, on your side, on your team, the more people in your network, the better opportunities you're going to get. I can tell you that, and I tell this to everybody because this is also part of what prompted me to turn this into a membership community. Almost every single great opportunity I have gotten for the upside has been, I can trace back to communities that I'm part of, digital communities. Almost every single opportunity, Mm -hmm. that's Forbes, that's CIO, um, it's Hey Mama, it's podcasts, speaking on panels. I spoke at Harvard, I spoke at Brown. Every one of those I can trace back to those communities. I am not from the New York area. I don't have roots here. I've had to make my own way, make my own connections. So that has been a challenge. And I used to get frustrated in my 20s when other people had all these big networks and I was just starting out. And guess what? There was no Facebook when I graduated college a gazillion years ago. So I didn't have those opportunities to connect with other people unless it was in person. It was really difficult. So these communities are giving men and women, giving young people, even older people, the option and the opportunity to connect with people that they would never have been connected to otherwise. Mm -hmm. I would never be connected to you without Right, we met on an online community. Yeah, we met on an (laughs) online community. And those opportunities, those connections, people going into communities knowing they are going to give and not just take. Mm-hmm. It is just such a different perspective and the right communities plant those seeds that mm-hmm. this is a giving community. And I, I don't think that it will ever be a barrier to entry because I think that there's so many free communities if you really have no money. I have a friend, for example, she has a really affordable community for people, really mostly women, who can't afford one-on-one um, career coaching and just coaching in general. So she is scaling, her company's called Work Bigger. She's scaling coaching for people who maybe can't afford or are not ready to invest in one-on-one coaching. So I think if anything, communities are making it affordable to network, much more mm-hmm. affordable than in the past. When I was younger, you know, to go to a networking event was hundreds of dollars. And I was like, I don't have that kind of money. I'm making mm-hmm. nothing. I just started out. And I was really deterred from doing those things. Mm-hmm. And again, everything was in person. This is just making, it's like dating. I mean, re- you don't remember the days before online dating. You used to actually have to meet people in person. And then all of a sudden, you can meet people online. It was just so much quicker, so much easier. It's sort of like, it's sort of like dating online, but for business mm-hmm. and careers. So what skills would you say, you know, our younger generations now or future generations you feel need, you know, in in the context of uh, 
being a part of a community, uh, being, you know, like a big aspect of your future, frankly. Um, like what, yeah, what skills do you think are important um, to learn? I mean, we, you know, we've touched upon networking. I, I would say that is kind of a skill or kind of, or, you know, something that you have to keep on top of mind, even when you're still in school, maybe. I think that to really maximize being part of a community, it's not so much skill, it's more intention. Mm-hmm. I think that joining a community with the intention to just grab and take, it, you're probably not going to get a lot out because there's a big element of karma when it comes to community people. If people see your name as constantly offering up advice and giving, then when you go to ask that advice, you're going to get a lot in return. Or people will offer, you know, I've offered advice many, many times or offered to hook up members who have businesses with with consultants for free because they're part of my community. And I'll get other emails from people saying, ooh, now we want to join your community because, you know, because they saw the generous offer maybe or they, um, you know, it's it, there's definitely a karma effect. I think if people are going in to take, it's just not going to benefit them mm-hmm. so much. I think community thrives because everyone is there to give mm-hmm. and help one another out. And the ones that I've seen become the most successful are the ones where people are giving the most. So, I so think it's, participation and engagement through give and take. Correct. <laughs> I mean, even the upside, we have members, they're paying members and you never see them. They never pop in. They never, ch- I don't know exactly why why they're staying members, but um, maybe they're just lurking. Maybe they're just learning. They're just, they, maybe they don't want to ask any questions, but but it, it helps the more people can engage. And, and it is a time commitment for sure, mm-hmm. but it's a commitment and it's a, it's a time that we all have and can't afford not to use. Yeah. You, I, I think if I were not in a community, this business would not still exist. Mm-hmm. Honest to God. I, I can attribute so much of my success to community. So this may be not quite PC, and I'm a millennial. Oh, so I love I non-PC <laughs> questions. But like... It, is building great communities kind of gendered in the sense that uh, women tend to be, I don't know if they're better givers, but they're used to cul- like being mothers and cultivating families. Like I know there's a st- statistic around like women who are given micro loans are more often likely to return the money. Um, that's why a lot of like Kiva sees a lot of success through uh, women because they feel like they have to provide for their family. Do you think there's an aspect of gender in building great communities? Well, first I have to say, I am not a member of any communities with men. So I can't really say for sure what men are doing as far as online communities. I I don't know those communities or even where they exist or where they live. I'm really in the women's community world. So I'll put that out there when I give you my answer, which is that I think the biggest difference is that Look, women make a fraction of what men make in the workforce. That's a fact. That is not my opinion. That is a fact. And depending even on what race that woman is, she's going to make different, a different amount than men. So we know that for sure. And there's a lot that goes into why that exists. It is not a flat, linear answer. It is very complex why that exists. However, women's communities, we, we are doing women are now basically saying uh, that that's unacceptable. That is unacceptable because we are, 
there are more women graduates than before. So you would think there should be more women in senior leadership roles. There's this disproportionate amount of successful senior leaders who are women versus men. And when you compare who's getting the MBAs and who's graduating top in their class, it's women. So it, it doesn't make sense. And we're finally bringing that to light and finally saying, this stinks. And I, I don't want to stand for this anymore. And so women are creating these communities, both virtual and brick and mortar, like the wing, to really help each other out because we've realized that ain't no one else helping us. Like, we've got to help each other and help ourselves because it's just not going to happen otherwise. And I think that's a lot of where the giving comes from is because everyone's just sort of sick of it. And we're saying, okay, well, what's ha whatever has been done in the past does not work, so we're going to try this. We're going to try, ooh, let's try helping each other. Maybe that will work, and maybe we'll all rise together. Men, um, especially, you know, specific, you know, specific um, race and and background and pedigree and 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 um, and money. Men just do not have that same challenge. You know, you're a white man. You probably were not raised thinking, "Ooh, I better, you know, work harder," or "I better, you know, try try more," and and I, I better, you know, dress a certain way, or else I'll be I'll, I'll appear. I won't appear professional enough. If I, women have to think about stuff so much that men don't have to think about in career, you haven't had to think about equal pay because you know mm -hmm. you're going to get paid whatever you're supposed to get right. paid. Yeah. We don't. I remember working alongside as an analyst with a guy in one of my first jobs out of school. And I, the entire time I worked for that company, I kept wondering, I wonder if we're being paid the same because I don't think so based on just, just everything, based on everything, I don't think we're paid the same. And back then, you would never ask somebody. Now I wish I did, but it, it, it always was in my mind. I don't think he was thinking the same about me. I don't think he was going, hmm, I wonder if I'm getting paid the same as Erin. I bet she's getting paid more. I don't think he thought that way. So with all the women that you've worked with and helped out um, through the upside, uh, do you have any insights on how, you know, as you've also mentioned, more women are participating in the workplace? How do you think this is shaping, you know, the future and culture of uh, our economy and work? Well, one thing that that is a little, it's a little frustrating when people say, oh, you know, women are voluntarily leaving the workforce or they're voluntarily going into consulting. Um, they're really being forced out. Mm. Honestly, there's always a reason. There's always just a frustration on some level. Most people don't leave a comfortable, exciting, big career to just try it out on their own. No, they're they're not doing that. They're doing it because they need the flexibility. They're you know they they've found out they're not getting paid what their male counterparts are getting paid. They're they're frustrated. That's usually why people leave to consult. Um, I think that. The trend is that you're going to see more and more women doing that because more and more women are noticing those frustrations. I think in many years past, we just accepted those things as the reality. I mean, hell, 40 years ago, women were sexually harassed and they just accepted it because that was just part of being at the office. And mm -hmm. now you would never, you know, 
I mean, people used to smoke at the office. So there's all sorts of things right. that we're finally, that people finally say, hmm, that ain't right, and we're not going to stand for that, and then there's laws for it. So I think that women are kind of recognizing now that, you know what, this situation, it stinks, and, and I'm frustrated, and I don't like this, and I don't want to feel this way, but yet I have an MBA, and I've been working for 10 years, and I'm awesome at my job, and I love my work, and I don't want to stop working. And that's why you're seeing that trend. So what do you see the upside being 10 years from now? What do you think? Sold. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Like, how do you think? It's interesting because it's like you're building this community outside the workplace. Are then the workplace is going to become more male-dominated and women are going to be coming in as consultants? Like, how do you see your work impacting this future of work? And, and maybe there's going to be a tipping point where companies start to realize this is a problem. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure it's going to be that noticeable of a trend. I, I really don't. I mean, we're not talking about half the workforce, literally. We're talking about a small percentage. It's just that I live in a bubble of a world in New York, in a suburb of New York, of very high-achieving women. Right. That's the bubble I live in. Women who are used to earning and getting what they want and reaching the top, or at least reaching almost to the top, and so that's the bubble I live in, and that's the bubble where you're seeing that big shift. But it does start somewhere. Not everyone can just leave and consult. You have to be really good at what you do. You have to have a network. You have to have some, some longevity. When I see people who are 25 say they want to consult, it's, that's, a, that's a tougher, that's a different path. That is not something I can advise on because that's just not my world. I don't know about that. So I don't think you're going to see people and just women in droves consulting where there's this mismatch. It's like, you know, we're like in China, there's so many more men than women and nobody can find a wife. It's not going to be like that. <laughs> it's not going to be like that. We're like, we can't find any female employees because they're all out consulting. I don't think you're going to see that. I do think that it's a, a big trend where high-level people are going out to consult for sure, but it is a bit of a bubble, you know, of a certain type of person. Right. And but how that affects companies, I think it's really, really positive because first of all, the companies are able to acquire top talent that can scale with their business. So now they don't have to wait until they're ready for that role. They can they can hire somebody who's really senior at a junior price because they're not full-time. But when somebody, you know, because we all, we all work, so when you're really good at your job, you can do it very efficiently and very successfully. When you're senior level, you can do the same job. I mean, I remember when I was doing marketing consulting, I was literally able to replace a full-time role working 20 hours a week because I was just really good at it and I was very quick, I was very efficient. So my clients loved it. It was like a senior level person at half price. And I loved it because I got to fill 30, 35 hours a week with my client and have the flexibility to be with my kids. Mm -hmm. So Erin, what would you say are the powers that are inherent in community? The powers of the community that are inherent? It doesn't have to be necessarily just the upside, just you know, what would you say are, are the powers of a community. The powers of a community are, are connections. So, you know, I always say one connection can change a life. I can give you a million examples. There's a book in my head that, that will be written one day all about the power of one connection. 
one connection can literally change your entire life. And being able to connect with people online and then in person oftentimes, like here we are, we're together in person, uh, we met online, and it, it is extremely special for the technology that was created not for that. So that technology, Facebook, it was all about digital connections, but here I am in person with you. You know, that's what's so special about it. That's the power because there are so many women now in my business network, if not 95% of them, I met through digital communities. And now I've seen them in person. I've flown across the country to meet with people in person that I met online. These are women who have really supported my business. I support their business. We have each other's backs. And like I said, my business would not still exist today without those connections. Mm. Yeah, the power of connection, that's a really big one. Well, thank you, Erin, for coming in. We really appreciated talking to you, gained a lot of perspective about community and women in the workplace and the challenges of being a parent as well. So uh, we look forward to hearing more about you. If you want to learn more about Erin Halper and her work with The Upside, you can check her company out at betheupside.com. To all our listeners, if you have any questions and comments about this episode, we encourage you to email us at hello at aboveandbelow.nyc. We have many more topics to cover about the future of the workplace, and you can stay in the loop with us by subscribing to our channels on iTunes, Spotify, or Anchor. Thanks so much for listening.